go ahead and grab your Bible and go to Psalm 67. Psalm 67. As I mentioned earlier, today we are finishing up our Songs of Hope series, and it's, I've had a lot of fun and a lot of joy um, looking at these different psalms with you. Um, and so today is one of my favorite psalms. It was really tempting in this series to just like pick my favorite psalms to do, uh, but I didn't because it's not the Psalms of Colton uh, series. It's, it's, there's purpose to each one um, as we prayed through them and considered them, but this one is one of my favorites, um, and I'm really excited about going through it with you today. So Psalm 67, let me read that for us. It says, May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. Okay, so we're going to jump right in full speed because I want to ask a question here at the beginning. Verse 1 says, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. So I want to ask the question here. Okay, what does it mean here in verse 1 when it says, God be gracious to us? What does it mean that God is gracious to us? What does it mean that God will bless us? What does it mean for him to make his face to shine upon us? Now, let's not make the mistake of understanding the blessings of God to be the physical blessings of the world here in verse 1. One, well, yes, God can bless with physical things, and that is actually shown explicitly later in this psalm, but that is not what verse 1 here is talking about. Verse 1 is talking about the holiness and the favor of God, that may God show you and me, a sinner who rebelled against him, may he show you mercy, unending love, undeserved Compassion. May God not give you what you do deserve, judgment, but may God give you what you don't deserve, grace. May God bless you, not curse you, that he may not condemn you based on your right-deserving condemnation. May the light of God's face shine upon you. May the smile, think about that, may the smile of the God of the universe be on you. So what's the blessing here in verse 1? What does it mean that God has blessed you? Well, the blessing here in verse 1 is the same blessing that is found all the way back in Genesis 12. In fact, Psalm 67 is rooted in the promise that God gives Abram all the way back in Genesis 12. These two texts are connected together, and they can't be separated from one another. So let me read to you Genesis 12, starting in verse 1. It says, the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to a land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So God tells Abraham, hey, Abraham, I'm going to bless you. God's blessing will be upon you, and through you all the families of the earth will be blessed. So this leads to two questions, okay? First question, very simple questions. Why do we need the blessing of God? Like, why do we need the blessing of God mentioned here in Psalm 67 and Genesis 12? And the reality of that answer reveals to us a terrifying reality that is still very much alive today. Why do all the families of the earth need the blessing from God mentioned in Genesis 12? I want to show you a few texts in the New Testament that shows us that. First is Romans 3, 19. And Paul says, Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law. So this is why we need the blessing. Whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. 
For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. So by looking at the law that God gives his people in the Old Testament, we are able to understand why we need the blessing of God. Because here's what the law reveals. Attempting to follow the law of God reveals that you can't follow the law. And our failure to follow the law reveals our sin. And the law leads to death under the curse of sin. The law reveals that we are guilty before him. Like we're guilty. We're we're condemned by him. We are separated from him. And because we are incapable as a sinful people to keep God's law, we are condemned and thus we cannot fully know God or enjoy God. We are cursed, not blessed, under the law. We are dead and without hope. And make no mistake, when we come face to face with the law that we cannot keep, we deserve wrath. It says we, we need to be held accountable, not just us, but think about this. Every person on the globe, every person in every family, in every city, in every nation, in every tribe, every tongue, every people group, all of sin will be judged. And he says, every mouth will be stopped. And the whole world will be held accountable to God. That our God is a just God. He's incapable of acting unjustly. He's incapable of going, hey, yeah, man, your sin, no big deal. Like, bro, don't worry about it, okay? That's not who he is. And the ultimate display of God's wrath is eternal condemnation. We call that hell. And it's a very terrifying reality that Scripture is clear that those who would reject Christ, there is eternal condemnation. So why do all the families of the earth need to be blessed by God? Because we're cursed under the law. Because we all have chosen to delight in sin rather than to delight in God. Second question, how will God accomplish the blessing? mentioned in Psalm 67 and Genesis 12. How will God remove the curse? Galatians 3.13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, curse is everyone who is hanged on a tree. And then look what he says in verse 14. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. So what is the blessing that both Psalm 67 and Genesis 12 talk about? The blessing is that Jesus Christ stood in our place of condemnation. He stood in our place. That that we cannot have real fellowship with God. We cannot cannot have a real relationship with God because our sin will not allow it. And Christ stands in the gap and says, I will take on your sin as my own, as a pavement to purchase you, from the curse of the law. I'll set you free. I'll set you free from that condemnation. This is amazing. And then in verse 24 in Galatians 3, look at it. He says, then, the Bible is amazing. The law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. Okay, so... What does it mean that the law was a guardian? That's kind of language we don't use very often. Well, the law revealed to us both the character of God and God's intended holiness for us. So why does God tell us not to lie in the Ten Commandments? Well, because God's not a liar. God's not a liar. It revealed his character. God is not a liar, and he will never lie to you. And you, you were created in the image of God. You were not created to be a liar. So the law acted as a guardian to ensure that we knew who God was and we knew who we were designed to be. And the law acted as a guardian in that it revealed the promised blessing that was to come in Jesus Christ. That the law revealed someone's coming that will fulfill this blessing to complete what is incomplete, to do what we cannot, to keep the law and bridge the gap between the sin of man and the holiness of God. And then we have Galatians 4.4, where he says, when the fullness of time had come, 
God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. That all the way back in Genesis, God set forth in motion a plan, a sovereign plan to ensure that blessing would come to all who would have faith in a perfect and sinless Savior. And Christ's work on the cross fulfilled the law. He kept God's law perfectly. He was the king that would be a sacrifice for us. So we are blessed, not based on our works or efforts, but based on the works and efforts of Christ. Like This is the gospel. This is the good news that you and I were dead. We were a slave to sin, separated from God. But Jesus Christ came from perfect heaven to broken earth to redeem what was broken. And if any who would have transformational faith in Christ will work on the cross. Like, if you believe that, you are called a son or a daughter of God. He's adopted you as his own. This is the blessing we have in Christ. So when 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It's saying that Christ who had no sin, he was perfect, spotless. He took our sin, our death, and he took it upon himself. He took it upon himself. Our sin was accredited to him as his own. And he, in all his perfection, in his sinlessness, his righteousness was then accredited to us. He who knew no sin became sin so that we might be righteous, that he stood in the gap and purchased us as his sons and daughters. Look, This is the blessing. This is how you've been blessed. This is how I've been blessed, that we might enjoy him, not because of anything we've done, but because of what he he has done. So verse one, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. The blessing has come in Christ. But notice, after the first verse, there's a pause here. It says Selah. We don't know exactly what that means. Some kind of of musical note, something in the song, but we believe that it means pause. It means that this thought is incomplete in verse 1. There isn't a period after verse 1, right? We're meant to pause here, to let that reality sink in, that God has blessed us through Christ. And once it does sink in, we complete the thought. And the most important word in this psalm, I think, is is the first word of verse 2, the word that. There's a lot of important words in this psalm, but I think the word that is the most important one, because apparently there is a purpose behind the blessing. God blesses his people so that something else may happen. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. Pause. Feel it, the grace of Jesus Christ. That your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. That God blesses his people, not for your sake, not for my sake, but for the sake of his praise among the world. That the blessing of the blood of Jesus Christ was not just meant for you and I, but it was meant for all peoples, for all nations, that every person from the east to the west, to the north and to the south, would know his saving power. They would know that God has put on flesh. He has died the death that they could not die, and he has risen from the grave, that every person in the world would know that there is forgiveness in sin, that they can move from death to life, that they can find salvation, that they're trying to find in all sorts of things. They can find salvation And him, that in Christ, God's wrath is appeased. So his blessing has come to me. His blessing has come to you so that his glory and his way would be known on earth. And that reality covers your Bible. From Genesis to Revelation, Psalm 67 does not stand alone in this idea. Psalm 67, 1 and 2 is actually a summary of your Bible. Genesis 12, we just read it. He says in verse 2, I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. 
He says, I will bless you. Abraham does not deserve the blessings of God. Let's make that clear. We think of these people as giants, like, like they're better than it. Abraham does not deserve the blessing of God. He worshiped idols here in Genesis. He doesn't deserve the blessing of God. And God says, I will bless you. Why? So that you will be a blessing. Through all the families of the earth, you, all the families of the earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham, this blessing isn't just for you, but all peoples will be blessed because of the blessing I give you. He says the same thing to Abraham's son, Isaac, in Genesis 26.4. He says, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven and give to your offspring all these lands, and in your offspring all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. And then Isaac has a son named Jacob, and he tells him the same thing in Genesis 28.14. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south, and in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That God has a plan, and in his sovereignty, he is moving all the pieces on the board for a purpose. You see this in Exodus. In Exodus 14.4, Moses leads the people of, uh, away from Egypt, and God leads them to the edge of the Red Sea. Like, they go, go and read it. I mean, it's crazy. God leads them in circles. There's, like, no plan. There's like, it's like chaos happening. And they get to the edge of the Red Sea, and they've got the Egyptian army coming from one direction and the Red Sea in another direction. This is, it's not a good strategy. And you go, why did God lead them there? Like, why did God do that? And he says in Exodus 14.4, I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. He parts the Red Sea. He blesses his people so that his glory would be known around the world. Daniel and the lion's den. Why did God save Daniel and the lion's den? Was it to bless Daniel? Yeah. But if you read the story, you see that it's so that a foreign king would worship him. And in the early church, Christians would decorate their graves with the image of Daniel standing with the lions. It was seen as an image of resurrection. It was seen as an image of triumph over the grave, that the story of Daniel is the story of Christ. It's the ultimate blessing that we share in the victory of Christ. And that victory is meant to be known among the nations. Psalm 23, you know this. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Why does God lead you? Why does God restore you? Why does he lead you in paths of righteousness? For the sake of his name. And then my favorite example is Exodus 20, 36, 22. Listen to this. This is kind of insane. It says, therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God. He says, it is not for your sake. O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate, I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations and which you have profaned among, among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holy name name. God literally says to his people, it is not for your sake that I bless you. He says, I will vindicate. Vindicate means to clear of blame. That means I will take your blame away so that the nations will know I am the Lord. It's not for your sake that I'm going to save you. It is for my sake. He's blessing his people for the sake of his name among the nations. And so it makes sense, right? When you get to the gospels, when you get to the Gospels and Jesus has come, he's died, he's risen from the grave. The blessing has come. He's redeemed us from the curse of sin. He's appeased the wrath of God. And he tells his disciples to do what? To go. Bring the blessing. Matthew 28, Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Mark 16, 15, go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. Luke 24, 46, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and the repentance for the forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. John 20, 21, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending 
And then we learn that in Revelation, this will happen. All the nations will know the blessing. Revelation 7, 9, after this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number. Think about this, imagine it. From every nation, from all tribes and peoples, languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. This is the purpose of all history, that God has blessed his people through the blood of Christ so that all peoples would know the forgiveness and grace of Christ. Now here's the danger, okay? Here's the danger when you talk about this. Here's the reality that we face in our, in our faith. We are tempted to detach God's blessing in our lives. We are tempted to detach God's blessing in our lives from the purpose of our lives. Our hearts resonate with the idea of grace. We love to talk about this. Our, height, our hearts resonate with it. We love the idea of grace, amazing grace that saved a wretch like me. I was blind, but now I see. It's beautiful and it's glorious. But oftentimes, we become so hyper-focused on a grace that centers on us. And while the grace of God is beautiful, he has saved us from our sin. He has redeemed us. He gives us strength when we are weak. He leads us. He loves us. But the grace of God that is detached from its intended purpose results in an empty Christianity that misses the entire point. Now hear me, the point of Christianity is not that Jesus loves you and he died on a cross for you. And you're like, whoa, hold up a minute. Can you say that again? The point of your Christianity is not just that Jesus loves you and he died on a cross for you. It's not untrue. It is simply incomplete. That is not the whole story. It's putting a period where there should be a pause. That the cross was not just about you. If all that Christianity was about was you, then what you do with your life is completely centered on you. It's all about what you want, your ambitions, your desires. And that's the type of Christianity that honestly plagues our churches today, a faith that centers on me. It's not about what he wants, it's about what I want. And that picture of Christianity is incredibly incomplete because yes, God loves you, Christ died for you, but he loves you so that his love, his mercy, his grace, his glory might be known in your heart and in every heart in the entire world. He doesn't love us for our sake, but he loves us for his sake, for his sake. And you might say, okay, wait, let's be clear here. Are you saying that God has an ulterior motive in blessing us? And I would say, that's not what I'm saying. That's what the Bible is saying. And who in this place would be so arrogant to say that they are the center of God's universe? God, God is at the center of God's universe. Not you, not me. Everything revolves around him. Everything he does is so that his name would be praised. His name would be exalted. And if that rubs you the wrong way, People have said this. If you might say, well, that makes God sound pretty arrogant, doesn't it? He only does things for his own praise. And I would just ask you, who else would you have him exalt? You? Me? I can guarantee you don't want to exalt me. I can't even do the dishes right. But if God were ever to exalt someone or something else, it would mean that his character is untrue. It would mean that he is not the fountain of all that is good. It would mean that everything about his goodness and his grace and his holiness is a lie. In fact, it would be evil for God not to command his praise. Because if he knows, if he's the only place that we can truly find forgiveness, grace, and mercy, then it would be evil for him not to demand his worship. Because in our worship of him, is where we find our joy. It's where we find our salvation. It's where we find our hope. We're not gonna find it anywhere else. We're not gonna find it anywhere else. It is right for him to demand his worship. And so let's understand this. The blessing of God that Christ has come is not intended to center on me, and it's not intended to center on you. It is intended to spread through me and you. 
that our hearts explode with worship, and so we go. We go. Too many times we preach a, ser- a sermon on missions, and everyone just leaves guilty, right? You ever felt like that? You just leave this place feeling guilty, like you're not doing enough. Listen, you go to the nations, we give to the nations, because our hearts explode in worship, and we go. <laughs> they need to know the blessing for their sake, for their sake, so that they can find forgiveness, so that they can know what we, the blessing was not intended to be centered on you. It was intended to be spread through you because your heart explodes in worship. And look, there is no plan B for this. This is why the church is here. There is no plan B. God has ordained it that his people would be blessed through Jesus so that they would take that blessing to others. And God has not only ordained in purpose that we get the joy of being set free from sin, like let that sink in. You have, God has made it, he's ordained it, that we would know freedom. All the anxieties that you carry right now, the stress, the grief, that you would know the freedom and joy that is found in the hope of Christ in the spirit living in you. The joy of redemption from being brought from death to life, from heaven, from hell to heaven. But God has also purposed and ordained all the peoples of the world would know of that blessing. Through our preaching, through our evangelism, through our disciple-making, through our going, through our sending, there is no plan B. The church, the people of God, spreading the gospel of God is his ordained purpose and plan. And this is all over the New Testament. One of the most sobering examples of this is in Colossians 1.24. So I actually want you to go there. In fact, Marshall, don't even put it on the screen. I want you to go there in your Bible. Colossians 1.24. Colossians 1.24. I'm going to give you a second to get there. Okay. Colossians 1.24. Here's what it says. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body that is the church. Let me read that again. <laughs> now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body that is the church. Now you read that, and if you're like me when I read it, you go, wait a minute. What is this saying? Is he saying that what Jesus did on the cross was not sufficient? Is he saying that something was lacking in Christ's afflictions? It's kind of weird, right? Okay, hold your finger there and go to Philippians 2. All right, go to Philippians 2. At the end of Philippians 2, Paul is thanking the church in Philippi for sending a man named Epaphroditus. The church, this church was in partnership with Paul as Paul aimed to make Christ known among the nations, among the Gentiles. Paul was living out Genesis 12 that all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And Paul is letting them know, the church in Philippi, that he has received the gift from the church, right? This gift that allows the gospel to be spread. And two, he is letting them know that Epaphroditus is okay because apparently Epaphroditus almost died trying to get the money to Paul. And then here's what he says in Philippians 2, 29 about Epaphroditus. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. So what is lacking, what was lacking in the church in Philippi's service to Paul? Think about it. They had a partnership. The church made a commitment to support Paul in his missionary work. So what was lacking? What was lacking was the bringing of the gift to Paul. Now go back to Colossians 1. I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I fill up I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body. That is the church. That Paul has been given a task to bring the blessings of Christ to the Gentiles, to the nations. And he says, in my flesh, I am filling up what was lacking in Christ's afflictions. What's lacking in Christ's afflictions? The proclamation of what Christ has accomplished through his afflictions. That's what's lacking. That Christ on the cross 
was a full atonement for sin. Nothing lacked there. So what's lacking for the sake of the church? The bringing of that news to the world. That's what's lacking. And he, he makes this clear in, in the next verse, verse 25. He says, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. To make the word of God fully known. He says, I did this for you. I brought the gospel to you. I made the word of God fully known. And you're like, what's that? What does that mean, the word of God fully known? And he says in 26, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. The mystery that was hidden for ages. What's the mystery? Verse 27, that to them... God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. That the mystery is that God has chosen to use Israel to bring forth the one that would be a blessing for all nations. That through Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and David and on and on and on came one person who would save people. So make no mistake about it, we are called to complete what is lacking in Christ's afflictions to bring this beautiful story of God's grace to all peoples. And so he says in verse 4 in Psalm 67, let the nations be glad. The mystery has been revealed. The blessings for the nations. <laughs> let the nations be glad and sing for joy that the nations are meant to enjoy God, to enjoy God like you get to enjoy God. They are meant to worship God, to praise God. And so here's a question that we have to ask. If God has blessed us with the salvation of Christ so that we can bring that blessing to the nations for his name's sake, for his glory, the question we have to ask is, is that happening? Are the nations worshiping God? And the answer to that is both encouraging but also very discouraging. Because absolutely, there are stories coming out of China right now and out of the Middle East that are just, they will blow your mind about some of the work that God is doing through the church. But also, there is a lot of work to be done. There are 11,000 people groups in the world. So if you don't know what a people group is, a people group, our ethnic group, is determined by their language, their geography, and their culture. So when Jesus says, make disciples of all nations, that word nations is the word ethne. Okay? It's where we get the phrase ethnic groups. So there are 11,000 ethnic groups in the world, and over 6,000 of them have never even heard, think about it, never even heard of the saving power of God. That's around 3 billion people. 3 billion people who have never met a Christian, they have no church to go to, and they will never meet a Christian and probably never hear the true gospel in their entire lifetime. So let the nations be glad. God's praise among the nations is woefully lacking. Woefully lacking. That in Africa, there are over 3,000 animistic tribes in Africa who are following false gods and spirits who are not worthy to be praised. In Japan, in Laos, in Vietnam, there are over 250 million Buddhists who are following a false god that is not worthy to be praised, that God cannot give them real joy. In India and in Bangladesh, there are 950 million Hindus who are following a multitude of false gods who are not worthy to be praised. In North Africa and the Middle East, there are 1.5 billion Muslims who are following a false god who is not worthy to be praised. And they will not get salvation and joy from those gods. May God be gracious to us and bless us, make his face shine upon us, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. And then in verse 4, we see something that's, that's really amazing and scary. He says, for you judge, right in the middle, he says, for you judge the peoples with equity. You judge the peoples with equity. Equity. So we praise God that his character doesn't sway, right? Like he doesn't change on us. He doesn't change his mind tomorrow, okay? We praise him that his justice, his character, 
will not deter, that all the wrongs of the world will be made right, that every single person on the globe will be judged equally. But it's also scary and terrifying because every single person on the globe will be judged equally, right? That, that we will be judged the same way as the person who calls themselves a Muslim. We will. You ever heard someone say, well, what about that innocent person in Africa that's never heard of Jesus? What about them? They've had no opportunity to hear about Jesus. Surely God will give them a pass if they've never even heard. Well, there are two problems with that. First problem is, what innocent person? What innocent person? Where in the Bible does it say that there is an innocent person out there? Romans 3, 9, as it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. That we, were, we are all guilty. We're, we're all condemned without the covering of the blood of Christ. And the second problem is one that we've already mentioned. There is no plan B for that person in Africa to hear. The church is God-ordained plan that God wills to work through willing intercessors. That's why in Romans 10, 13, it says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Friends, the blessing of God is not intended to center on you. It's not about you. The blessing of God is intended to explode in you and spread through you. That God has given you the gospel for a reason, for a purpose. Man, that we would feel this. That we would not respond in guilt, but excitement. (laughs) That we would be able to bring the gospel to the nations. God has chosen to use you. So don't waste your life. And we see in verse 6 that not only has God given you the blessing of Jesus Christ so that his name might be glorified in the world, but he has also given us physical blessings, not for our sake, but so that his name would be glorified in all the earth. Verse 6, the earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. So that phrase, the earth has yielded its increase, is harvest language. We're talking about physical things here. And then in verse 7, God shall bless us. And he says, let all the ends of the earth fear him. So God blessed us so that the ends of the earth would fear him, would know him, would worship him. And the reality is, if you're sitting in this room, you are in the 1% of the world. And this is where it's easy to feel guilty. Don't feel guilty. All right, follow me here. You are in the 1% of the world just by being in this room. God has blessed you. You could have $5 in your checking account, which that's what I had in my account when I was a sophomore in college, all right? You have been blessed. God has blessed you. And there are too many churches and too many Christians who have taken the lifeblood out of the gospel and put Kool-Aid in, it, in its place so that we can be more comfortable. I'll say that again. Too many churches and too many Christians have taken the lifeblood out of the gospel and put Kool-Aid in its place so that we can become more comfortable. So that we don't have to die to ourselves so that we don't have to pick up our cross and follow him, so that we can do whatever we want with the blessing, so that we can enjoy it, so that we can come to church Sunday after Sunday after Sunday after Sunday and never explode in worship. We have become too comfortable. The gospel, as beautiful and easy as it is to swallow, man, Jesus says the path, the way is narrow. It's narrow. That this blessing has come so that the world would know. That God has given you money. God has given you skills. God has given you a trade, a degree, so that the world would know him. Every single one of us, every single one of us has natural gifts that God has blessed us with. Natural gifts, and all of us have learned gifts that God has blessed us with. That the things that you have were not given to you for your own glory. Did you know that? The things that God has given to you was not given to you for your own comfort and glory. And the skills you learned, the degree you got, if you got a degree, the reason you know how to knit, the reason you know how to 
carve wood, that was not learned by accident. God has given you skills and gifts and things for a purpose. God has ordained it that the field of the harvest would be used to bless the nations. God gave you this blessing, right? God gave you the blessing of being really good at business. We have any really good businessmen here? I'm not. But he gave you the gift of being really good at business so that that would be used for his praise among the nations. God made you really good at knitting. I don't know why I'm picking on people who are good at knitting. But God made you really good at knitting so that somehow God could use that for the nations, for his glory among the nations. So let's not waste our lives using these skills and gifts for our own comfort and our own glory. But we heed the words of Paul in Acts 20, where he says, I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Okay. Two questions that I get pretty often after a sermon like this. First question. Colton, I understand that we are supposed to go to the nations, but what about the needs here? Anybody thinking that? You ever ask that question? I get it all the time. Here's my answer to that. Yes. (laughs) Simply, yes. Like, your neighbor needs the gospel. Your coworker needs the gospel. The person in your gym needs the gospel. Make disciples, but let's see the whole picture. Make disciples who pray for the nations. Make disciples who go to the nations. Make disciples who give to those going to the nations. Make disciples who know how to share the gospel with a Hindu. Learn how to share the gospel with a Hindu and teach someone how to share the gospel with a Hindu. Make disciples who know how to share the gospel with the Muslim. See, reaching those who live near us and reaching those who live across the ocean is not something that we have to choose between. They work together. They work together. In fact, I would say if you are someone who wants to go overseas one day, you you say, I'm called to cross-cultural missionary work, then we're not sending you. Renewal Church is not sending you if you're not making disciples right here. (laughs) I mean, these things work Together, let's make disciples who pray. Let's make disciples who know how to pray, who know how to communicate God, who know how to listen to the Spirit. Let's make disciples who go. The second question I can sometimes get, well, Colton, isn't it dangerous to go to some of these places? And the answer is yeah. Yeah, and, and I don't want to make light of this because I, I've seen real struggles with this, that the thought of your child or your spouse someone you love going to a place that is dangerous, that's a reality, and it causes a lot of anxiety for you. And so I get it. Um, Look, I mean, in about a month, Katie, who works for a missions organization, she's going to Tajikistan. If you don't know where that's at, that's that's right next to Afghanistan. And she's traveling alone. And you're like, Colton, why would you let her do that? Does it scare me? Yeah, you bet it does. But... She has been blessed by the blood of Christ so that the nations would know. So if your child, and so maybe this is more for parents, and I know I'm not a parent, but I've worked with a lot of students, and I've seen a lot of students go. If your child or someone you love comes to you and says, I want to go where Christ's name is not known, that is not something to be grieved. That is not something to be grieved and something to be feared. That is something to be celebrated. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Now, three action steps. One, pray. We can't attempt to do the work of God without God. If you have never prayed, okay, if you have never prayed about going overseas, if you've never prayed, if you're hearing this and like, I want to go, I want to go, I want to go, you're getting excited, right? Getting amped up. If you've never prayed about that, don't come up to me and say, I'm called to go overseas. <laughs> pray. <laughs> I can tell you, walk you through how to pray and what to pray for, but do not say you're called to something without praying about it. Don't attempt to do the work of God without God. So you need to pray and to listen. And listen, if you're someone who says, 
I know that God has never called, is not going to call me to go overseas. I know that God's not going to do that. You need to stop because God's going to call you, okay? Like, you need to pray with open hands. God, what do you want? How do I be a part? We're all going to be a part of this. How do you want me to be a part? So maybe you're called to be a goer. Maybe you're called to be a giver. Maybe you're called to be a mobilizer. I don't know, but you need to pray. Spend a lot of time praying. Pray for the nations. Make it a normal part of your rhythm in life. Oh, God, let the peoples praise you. Pray. Second thing, action, second action step is we need to be learners. We need to learn about God's heart for the nation. Pay close attention when you read your Bible. It's all over the world. It's all over the Bible. God's heart for the nations, his glory among the nations, it's everywhere. Pay close attention. Read books, right? Read about Jim Elliott. Read about Lottie Moon. Read about Hudson Taylor. Like these people who have gone before us, like the history, the history of what God has done in the nations is incredible. Learn these stories. Learn what a Muslim believes. Learn what a Hindu believes. You need to know these things. You need to know these things. Third, last thing. Position yourself to be a goer and to be a giver. Position yourself. I don't know what God's called you to, but what we, each of us need to do is position ourselves to be a giver and to be a goer. And you may not know what God has called you to, but every single one of us needs to look at our lives and say, okay, if God were to call me to do this, am I positioned to do it? Am I positioned to be obedient to that call? Like, Katie and I, we bought our house so that if he calls us, and so spoiler alert, look, I hope to be here for 50 years, but man, my heart beats fast for the nations, and so we live our lives with open hands. And we bought our house because at the time, you could, I mean, we could rent it out in a heartbeat. Everything we own, we can sell, even our dog. In fact, we have a waiting list of people who have offered to take our dog if we move overseas. Position yourselves to be a goer, right? And look, man, if you have crippling debt, if you have crippling debt, get rid of it. Not because Dave Ramsey tells you to, but because you've been blessed to be a blessing, right? So, and also, position yourself to be a giver. This is something we can all do. You know, Katie and I um, raised support for years, and people would feel guilty because, you know, they... They're like, oh, I can probably do like 20 bucks a month. We're like, awesome. It's not about the money. I can tell you this in support raising. It's not about the money. I mean, it is, but it isn't. It's about building a team of people who have a goal, who have a mission. Because I can tell you, when you're on support, the idea of people standing behind you, joining you in the mission that God will do among the nations, that is the most encouraging thing to do, more than your money. For those that are overseas, the idea that people are standing with you, that is the most encouraging thing you can do. So if you can give five bucks or 500 bucks, honestly, it doesn't matter. It's about the stance of we are standing in this together, blessed to be a blessing. And so if you're like, man, budget in your budget every month, even if you don't, you're not giving, if you're like, God has not called me to give right now, man, budget. Say, we have this amount of dollars every month in case someone comes to ask us and God tells us to give, like if someone asks, we are able to give. Position yourself to be a giver. And if you don't know who to give to, look, there are people in this church. We've got eight 20-somethings coming to Temple, Texas from all over the country in a month that are raising support to go over nations. We'll introduce you to them. <laughs> like we can help you with that. But position yourself to be a goer and position yourself to give her. And here's the last thing I'll say. This is too important. This is too important for us to be so focused on ourselves and our own comfort and our own glory that we would waste our lives and completely miss the point of all the word. Jesus has come to die. He has raised from the dead and he has blessed us so that we would purpose our lives for the glory of his name among all peoples. And so whatever it looks like for you, be involved. Be praying and thinking about how can I be a part 
of the blessing now. There's so many ways. We've got something coming up this week called Walk Week, where we're literally walking for the nations. And our registration fees goes to help 20-somethings go overseas. There's, there's, a, there's literally a Hindu temple in our city. Did you know that? There are Hindus and Muslims all over the place. There are so many ways for us to bring the blessing. And if you don't know, if you don't know what to do, come talk to us. There are so many people in here you could talk to about this, but, but come talk to us. We'll point you in a direction. We'll walk with you and disciple you to be part of God's mission to the nations. Last thing. Let me read this. Matthew 24, 14. We don't do this. We, we don't walk out of this place discouraged or feeling guilty because we know that one day it will happen. Like, bringing the blessing to the nations is guaranteed to happen, and here's how I know that. Matthew 24, 14. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. And then the end will come. When the whole world knows the blessing of Christ, the gospel, when every person has heard, then the end will come. We do not bring the blessing to the nations with the fear of failure. We go in confidence because just, just like Jesus had victory over death, he will have victory in the nations. Every tongue will confess. Every knee will bow.